0: help. In case you don't understand what I just said, H-E-L-P. In case you don't spell help. I had lunch with Julie Andrews, our children's director, this past week. We talked about how the program is growing. In the last six years, we've almost doubled the number of kids. We have close to 110 to 120 now. And um, we need Sunday school teachers. We need your help. Now, you don't have to do it every Sunday. You don't have to worry about that. We have a curriculum so to, make it, to give you some guidance and to help you. But we need help. Uh, her phone number is on here. You can text her. You can fill out this little tear-off. You can do lots of things. Like if you want to have coffee with Pastor Jim, you can check that box. Or you can text me. My phone number is on there. My phone number's on all the bathroom stalls in the county. You can, uh, if you say, Well, children are too small, I prefer to work with teenagers. Guess what? The last two Tuesdays in the middle school, Stefan has had like 800 kids. They're overpowering him. He's ready to jump off the roof. We need help, okay, to come alongside and help him. So, Plenty of ministry opportunities with our children and student ministries. Lots of things are going on. So please, oh, don't even pray about it. Just fill it out. And just check it and say, yes, you're going to come. Okay. Today we are talking about policing. Policing. We're in the middle of a series for or against, thinking with integrity. And you may think, some of you may think, Policing, what's so controversial about that? Well, think about all of the areas that have come up in the last two, three, or four years related to policing around the country. The whole question of discrimination. Um, Do we have police that discriminate? I'm sure we do, because every one of us does that. We're going to come back and talk about that, actually. That's an area of concern. How about appropriate types of weapons? What weapons should they carry? Should they carry the same assault rifles as the military? By the way, these are not my, it's not my field of expertise. I'm just jumping into the discussion with you, wading into it to give you some thoughts. How about purpose and goals? What's the purpose of the police department? What are their goals? Um, And depending on where your experience lies, you're going to approach these questions in a variety of ways. For example... I was in trouble with the police constantly, growing up. Any one of my five siblings would tell you I was definitely the black sheep of the family. I was in and out of trouble all the time. And it's only by God's grace that I stand here, but here I am. And so even today, to this day, uh, all these years later, uh, when I have a cop car pulling behind me, My blood pressure increases. My heart rate increases. And I'm going, oh, no, what did I do? What did I do? Because I have been in lots of trouble with the police over the years. So um, how you, your experience will dictate how you approach these areas. It's fascinating to me. One of the things I have observed in the years of talking to people around the county on a variety of topics. We approach issues, cultural issues, through lenses. Lenses that have to do with values, things that are important to us. For example, if abortion is your key value, then you're going to evaluate those in leadership based on their stance on abortion. I know some of you do that. If economics is your core value, then you're going to approach it from the standpoint of economics. How are they doing? If discrimination or care of minorities is your value, then you're going to look at the, those in leadership based on that. So it's just interesting to me that as I've had lots of conversations, it doesn't take very long to ask questions of people that I realize everybody has a set of lenses by which they evaluate uh, everybody from our president to our congressman to our mayor, our governor, our town council, our police. We have values that drive us. And I think that's actually a good thing if we can learn to have the conversation. Because when you see things through the lens that you wear, you see it differently than I see it. And so if we can get the values out on the table, then we can learn from each other and say, oh, really? Okay. You've heard me say many times, I think two of the um, the defining criteria for any pastor, and I would argue that any Christian, you should be growing in these two criteria, are curiosity and patience. Curiosity and patience. What do you think? Why do you think that? Just to ask the question. Um, like I said, I love one of my questions is, when I have a stranger, what do you think of President Trump? It's guaranteed to get fireworks one direction or the other. And pretty soon I just start asking questions. Like, tell me what you think. Why do you like that? Tell me why you don't like it. And when I get down to the value level, now we can have a conversation. And so each of these issues here, I've only mentioned a few. There's several more I got on here. There's more that I don't have. You're going to evaluate them through the lens that's important to you. How about just versus unjust shootings? There's a lot of stuff in the papers about that right now. Um, when is it just and when is it unjust? When is it a righteous shoot? Some people call it a non-righteous shoot. I don't know. How about excessive use of force? That's an area that's become relatively common in the last few decades to use the appropriate force necessary. When does it become excessive? I don't know the answer to that. I have my own thoughts like you do. How about use of body cams? They have these cameras now. You know, uh, Not only does it give a record of what they've done, it's the kind of their defense, so they can say, well, here's how I handled it. I got a record of it right here. Uh, all, all across YouTube, you can that you can see... The uh, police officer is pulling people over, and the camera on the dash is working, and you can watch how they do things. How big should the force be? That was a question our founding fathers wrestled with. Uh, how big should it be? Do we need a very large force? Do we need a super force? Do we need a private force? Do we need a small force? When I'm speaking overseas in third world countries, it's not uncommon for whoever the uh, whoever my partner is that lives there, who's kind of helped me organize it. With a pastor's conference, we'll walk up and say, "Just so you know, there's three secret police sitting out in the crowd, wondering what you're going to say." So it's pretty common, you know. It's an amazing thing. We're going to talk about policing. Where do we start? Well, as with all of these topics, where are we starting? We're starting with two real basic concepts. One is dignity. Everybody has dignity, and everybody is worthy of the conversation. It doesn't matter how oppositional they are to your viewpoint or how militant they are, you can still show love because they're worth it. And you can still ask questions. Why do you think that way? You know, you're pretty agitated. How come you think that way? What's going on? I had I had a young female I was talking to over in Frisco and she she was all worked up. And she finally said, You're not that agitated. Well no, I'm really not You know, and she said, why not? That gave me a chance to talk about my faith. And we had a, she's not a Christian. We had a great conversation. Probably sat for an hour and a half and just talked. And so dignity is really important in the discussion. Every single human is worth listening to. And if we can learn how to have the conversations in civil discourse and put them on the table, we can solve a lot of problems. And we can come together and really enjoy our culture even more. But the other one is concept of human flourishing. God made us. We're going to see this in just a minute again. I'll keep recycling through this over the years. He made us for joy. He made us to enjoy each other. He made us to create a safe place. If we flourish as a church, then the people in our county will want to know why. They'll want to know why. And a question we need to ask every year is when we go out and talk to people in the county, which I do, I talk to restaurant owners and police and all that, when we talk to them, perfect. When we come on up, come on up, Kathy, grab my mic, come on up. How's that for putting somebody on the spot? Several of the elders will tell you if I text you in the morning before church and say you're going to be here, ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy and I, Kathy, has, she's been in the county, what, 238 years or something like that? Yeah. We had coffee this week, and you're, uh, you're in social work. Yes. Right? Yes. So I tried to represent you in the first service. I didn't do a very good job, I'm but sorry. it made you look better than me. That's what counts. i okay, uh-huh. okay? Tell them, we had a conversation this week, we had coffee, and I, I had mentioned last week about that what you see out here is just, it's beautiful, but at some level, it's a veneer. There's a lot of stuff underneath, and you commented on that. So, you feel
1: comfortable talking about that? I will do my best.
0: Do your best. And tell about the Coke.
1: Oh, so, thank you. (laughs) So, I just want to give you a little background for myself. I am originally from Kentucky. Woo, go Wildcats. Uh, (laughs) And I came here in 1982. Uh, from a tiny little town just in the southeast part of Kentucky. And when I got here, um, when I got here, the first day that I got here, I was in employee housing over in Keystone, and uh, I had my roommates banging on the door. So it was sunrise. Sorry, I'm giving too much detail. Okay. Anyway, uh, it was in Sunrise, where they had a bedroom, two bedrooms divided by a kitchen and bathroom, and so the roommates from the other side came banging on my door uh, on the very first day that I got here, and they were like, oh yeah, we were so excited, it's great being here at Keystone, we were down at the Last Chance Saloon, and it was amazing, people were like snorting Coke on the table, I was like, wow, people to snort Coca-Cola up your oh. nose. <laughs> So So, yeah, so yeah, for many years, I always talked about try, being that square peg trying to fit into a We've round come a long hole ways haven't we? Of Summit County, and we have come a long way. So in my time here in uh, Summit County, apart from my tenure at Keystone, for all of you new people there, I worked in child welfare for many years. I ran a nonprofit agency that um, that advocated for abused, neglected children, and I also uh, now work at the hospital as the social worker there. And uh, I remember one of our... One of our missionaries coming in and who had raised in Summit County and seeing the sign that says Summit County, Colorado's playground. And he commented on how, you know, it was a ranching community when he came through. But what I've seen here in my time in Summit County is I've, I've seen the people who are struggling and I've seen the people who are having to deal with substance abuse and having to deal with family members who are aging and not having resources here and, and all the things, people who come in and try to try to help people who actually don't have family and uh, kind of dealing with some of those things. And, and the fact that, you know, as a social worker, I always said that any one of us is capable of child abuse. We just need to be in the right circumstances, in the right situation, in limited patience, limited resources, etc. and any of us could do something that we would never imagine that would happen mm-hmm. as far as uh, what we were capable of. And um, mm-hmm. that's been my experience here in Summit County as well as, as other things. You know, people who have stood with me as a single parent to raise my child all of you who are so supportive, and uh, but we need to recognize that all of us, at one time or another, are going to need help. Thank you. How's that for just get up here?
0: <laughs> there is a side of Summit County that's very broken and hurting. Uh, Now, for most of us as Christians, we enjoy the peace of Christ. And so we do see the beauty and we enjoy it. And God intended that, created it for that purpose. But it doesn't take long of sitting and talking with people to realize that there's a lot of hurting people. Which is why we're having all this conversation, all last fall and into the spring and winters. Because we can encourage people by the way we talk about these things. We can. So... Does the, Bible, does the Bible help us with the concept of policing? Well, not directly, but I think it does talk about some of the cultural values that are important, which uh, calls for a need to have a police force, if we understand it well. Okay, So actually the Bible does talk indirectly about things. The beginning point, you heard uh, him read, Um, Deuteronomy 31 Moses's last words so he's standing on this side of the river they're getting ready to go into the promised land and he is um, giving them his last thoughts he's not allowed to go with them may remember the story so he's giving them the final words and I I want to read two verses to you one is 31 verse 27 Moses is talking to the Israelites I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are If you had been rebellious against the Lord while I'm still alive and with you, how much more will you rebel after I die? And then verse 29, the next verse. For I know that after my death, you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn from the way I have commanded you. In days to come, disaster will fall on you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and arouse his anger. Uh, by what your hands have made we 've produced within culture now i 'm not trying to give you some kind of dire warning about the u s none of that sort of stuff, okay. My point here by highlighting this verse to start with is that it this shows us that even with god 's presence, nations have a tendency to wander, okay even with their presence, and so when we move into the New Testament, it begins to help us understand the role that we play as a church as a people of faith by the way we live our lives. You know, it's interesting. The first 250 years of the church, uh, the church was really quiet. They didn't have uh, people doing what Paul did, standing on street corners. We don't have any, any record of that. They actually hid were underground. The church went underground because they were persecuted. And their defense was, why are you persecuting us? We're people of integrity. We pay our taxes. We're honest people. We don't steal your wives. We don't steal your possessions. Why us? And so that should always describe us as a church because we bring, in a sense, we bring an awareness. Some people talk, call it a conscience and and all that. Really, we bring an awareness to people that are broken and hurting that there's something called hope. There is a genuine hope out there, and we bring that hope by the way we live our lives. They can hope that their marriage will be better because they look at ours they should they can hope that their level of satisfaction and joy and rest will be better because they look at the way we handle it and so it becomes very critical all of these things so the nations have a tendency to wander that's part of it the bible's filled with examples and language of that so we do have a very important role to play even our founding fathers were were um, concerned about this whole question I was reading through several of them, and I was going to quote two for you. One is uh, Benjamin Franklin. He said this. These are both these, John Adams and Benjamin Franklin were involved in framing the Constitution. <clears throat> so here's what Benjamin Franklin said. I agree to this Constitution, and I believe further that this is likely to be well-administered and can only end in despotism as other forms have done before, when people shall become so corrupted as to need despotic government being incapable of any other. Wow, strong words from our founders. Here's John Adams. Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And so we have a responsibility as a church to continue to uh, bring morality, the goodness of the Lord, what he has gifted us with and given us, into this county in our conversations with people. Uh, And I just hope and pray the churches all around the country are doing the same thing, but that's our responsibility. Because once we begin to lose our morality, then uh, things we begin to get in trouble as a nation. So this raises the question of why a police force and what is its purpose? Some of you know I'm reading uh, Miroslav Wolf among several books on public uh, faith in action and public policy and things like that. Here's how he defines a police force. The purpose of a police force is to protect a community from harm caused by its own members or individual visitors from abroad and thus contribute to the security Vital to both individual flourishing, there we go, individual flourishing and community well-being. That's what we were made for. Okay, listen again. The purpose of a police force is to protect a community from harm caused by its own members or individual visitors from abroad and thus contribute to the security vital to both individual flourishing and communal well-being. In this regard, a police force is different than a military because they're primarily focused on external. And a police force is focused on internal. So, in a fallen world, I would argue that a police force is an indispensable social service. It's needed. <clears throat> it's yeah. help us think through and maintain order, law and order. Thus, it is wise for us to have a great relationship with our local police. And that's where we're going to head. It's in a. Gr- it's it's to our advantage to partner together, and to do well with them. The Bible has a lot to say about how society is designed to function, what it's supposed to look like within culture. And these cultural dynamics help us understand the role of the police department. So we're just going to talk about four this morning. One is peace. Peace. We've read this before, Jeremiah 29. So they're being deported, the southern kingdom, Judah's being deported to Babylon. And this is what God says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, remember, they're being carried into exile because of their sin. Okay. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. and wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Boy, it doesn't sound like uh, he's not saying... Just live there temporarily. They thought they would come right back. They thought that within a very short span, they would come back and the Lord had said, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to send you there on purpose. This is part of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless all the nations through you. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Go to the next slide. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So God encouraged Judah to seek the peace and prosperity of the cities in Babylon. He kicked them out of their land and dispersed them. This is what's behind the concept of shalom, peace. It's more than simply peace. It's more than the absence of conflict. It's the actual well-being of all of us. It's the... We were designed to prosper, to do well, to experience joy. Think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, right? And on and on. This is what we were created for. So uh, we benefit when everybody in our community benefits. This is one of the functions of the police department. To help protect this peace, and we should encourage them in this regard. This is what they are here for. Let's talk about another category, aside from peace. How about the poor? You think the poor? Hmm. Um, the psalmist prayed that the king would defend the cause of the poor and crush those who were taking advantage of them. Psalm 72. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones, with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted, and that word can also be translated poor. May he defend the poor, the afflicted, the marginalized among the people, and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. This is one of the responsibilities of the king and therefore all of the king's representatives, which would include a police force. He goes a little bit further in Isaiah 11. and talks about when the Messiah comes. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. That's an important thing to remember, by the way. That's why I keep encouraging you to keep your rhetoric to a minimum on social media. Because okay? you can't always see what is happening. These people did not realize, they had a hard time believing that their being sent into exile was part of God's plan. They couldn't wait to get back, and he said, no, 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 settle in. In fact, when the Messiah comes, he's not going to judge by what he sees and what he hears. But he's going to judge with righteousness, and he will judge the needy with righteousness. Okay. He will, he, and with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Now, we looked at that last week, that the poor are very important to the Lord. They're his first love. Those who are marginalized, those who can't take care of themselves. And so this is one of the responsibilities of the police. This is at the core of the concept of justice. The natural tendency is for nations to protect the wealthy rather than the poor. The wealthy have a lot more options available to them. They can hire the best attorneys, for example. Okay, And so uh, the poor don't have these options. So one of the jobs of the police is to, is to keep an even balance here, if you will. The police should always have sensitivity toward the poor and the marginalized for the purpose of helping them. That's one of their responsibilities. It's interesting, we had a, a policeman here last fall talking to the staff about security and things like that, and he said... Um, that they had an incident last year where uh, a policeman was driving down the road. These are the police that we serve. I love our police. Driving down the road, saw a car and recognized a car belonging to an older woman, but it wasn't a woman driving it. So he called in and said, "Uh, somebody go check up on her while he followed the car. The car pulled into the city market and went inside, and uh, they went and checked, and the lady had been beat unconscious and tied up, and they'd stolen the car. And so they had several more policemen show up, so when the guy came out, they arrested him. Uh, what a wonderful thing that we have policemen that are here. They recognize my Jeep. That's not always a good thing. <laughs> I don't have the same freedoms you have. But they wave at me. In fact, not too long ago, I'm driving, I parked at the stoplight, I and mean, I stopped at the stoplight, and I had my arm on the steering wheel like this. And I looked over in the cop we waved to each other, and he pulls his seatbelt out, like, do you have your seatbelt on? So I drop my shoulder and go, and he goes he went like that alright they told us that that they pay attention to what goes on in our church they look at our website so for instance VPS Christmas Eve amphitheater they just wander through they'll just drive through make sure everything's okay they know when we're doing big events is that great? I think that is so wonderful Um. The police should always be sensitive toward the poor, the marginalized, those that don't know how to take care of themselves. That's most of us in here. In other words, we should advocate for police and legal practices that favor all equally rather than showing partiality to any group. That's one of the things that we should be an encouragement. We should encourage them and, and advocate that with our elected officials. Okay, a third category, Security. One of Jesus' most common commands was do not be afraid. In fact, he says it 18 times in the Gospels, in his teachings. Do not be afraid. The wider public often has fear regarding unrest, crime, terrorism, things like that. Uh, I would argue uh, that the media is focusing on this fear and leveraging these fears maybe on purpose because it's hard to read an article that calms you down it doesn't matter which side you're on it doesn't matter and so fear is a really powerful motivator to get people to pay attention and yet jesus is the one that said do not be afraid it's all throughout the bible at mount sinai when god terrified the israelites Moses' first words were don't be afraid god did it on purpose to put his fear within you so you would respect him as god You have nothing to be afraid of. If we are honest, I think fear lies at the heart of discrimination, bias. Because we're we're nervous about people that are not like us. We are. When I was in the Navy, Great Lakes, never been there. I'd never seen a building taller than five stories. And uh, I'm walking around like this. I just knew these buildings were going to fall over. So one night, my buddy and I, we were on skateboards. We couldn't sleep, so we took off skateboarding. And we were talking about Christianity because I was doing all my wrestling at that time. I came to faith soon after that. He came to faith 20 years later. Uh, We're still really good friends. But we were riding along and just talking and not paying any attention. And uh, uh, about 2 in the morning, a cop pulls over and says, get in. We got in. He says, let us see your IDs. So did we do something wrong? No, you didn't do anything wrong. And he said, do you have any idea where you are? I don't know anything about Chicago. I have no idea. And he said, look around. Do you see any people the same color as you? I said, no. And he said, it's not very safe for you to be here. So I'm going to drive you back to the Navy base. That scared me. Okay? Fear often has to do with um, what we don't know. And that's at the heart of bias. We're afraid to go to people that are not like us. We're afraid to go in sections of towns where where maybe there's more trouble, right? We're afraid of that. By the way, it's so a third world country. I would invite all of you to come with me, not at once, that would be a big trip, but to come with me over to Nepal or Mozambique and see what I see. And see what I see. And come with one of us who's been there, so you don't need to be afraid. Um. While some of these fears are well-grounded, we should never let our fears override our commitment to justice, to do what's right. Never. We should never let our fears override that. Thus, we should encourage and be grateful for the police that enter into areas of higher crime, if in fact they are there to serve and protect. Now, I'm not at all afraid to say if we got a police that's a rogue police or is demonstrating uh, discriminatory behavior in harmful ways, we need to deal with it. But we should be very encouraging to them. Just to give you a couple of stats, in 2015, there were 994 deaths resulting from police shootings in the United States and its territories. 994. In 2016, there were about 30 less. There were 962 deaths resulting from police shootings. We have three hundred and fifty million people in our country. Okay? Discrimination notwithstanding, I'm sure there is some that needs to be dealt with and bias. This should cause us to celebrate. This should cause us to celebrate that we only had nine hundred and sixty-two out of three hundred and fifty million people. That's a that's that's wonderful news. You see, our founding fathers, they argued along several lines. They said, uh, some of them called this the American experiment. They said, well, no, this experiment is working successfully if we have a small police force because we have moral people. Do we need a law? Do you guys need a law to tell you not to murder or steal? Do you need a law for that? You don't, do you? You don't need police because you're not going to do it. So as a moral fabric begins to decay a little bit, then that number is going to rise. And that was one of the indicators of a moral society, an increasing police force. And so we have a responsibility to teach it. By the way, another one of their indicators was the poverty level. If, in fact, we do this well, this country, then our poverty level will be kept to a minimum, which is what the heart of of the Mosaic Law was all along, to take care of the poor. So, it's very important that we we remember the police are there to provide that sense of security. And we should encourage them in that. Let me talk about one more. Love. John 13. You know the famous verse in John 13? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you by this. Everyone will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So this reminds us that uh, this is a core commandment of the kingdom. This should be the dynamic that is central to all that we do, that our love is expressed continually. Love is expressed. And as much as possible, we should encourage our pleas to demonstrate care and concern for everyone, regardless of race or class. They should care, and we should demonstrate the same. We should care for everyone, regardless of race or class. We should remember that our police live in our communities. It's very easy, i will say a word about this in a minute, to create us, them. And we do that in a church. It's very natural. We'll say, let's get up here and we'll pray for four things. And yet, you know, I want to pray for Heather and Dan. They're part of us. They belong to us, don't they? We are richer because they're sitting here. And yet, he's fighting cancer, you know. In the last service, we had John Hardy. We had uh, Marie Wood sitting right here. Um, They're running out of options. The cancer is beginning to win. Okay? She's part of us. John's part of us. And so we should pray for these people because they belong to us. Surgery just this week, right? Two of them. Two of them had surgeries, and and maybe more. Those are just the two I know about. And so they belong to us. We should be concerned about it. And that's the same with our police. We should remember that they live in our community as well. They just live right down the street. They're part of us. We should think about that and remember it. So what does all this mean? Some thoughts. Again, I love some of the things Wolf has presented Police are there for the purpose of serving and protecting the population from unlawful behavior. We should rejoice that they do that. But we also must remember that the police and citizens are not two opposing forces. Right now there's a strong current, when I read the media, to, to, to separate that. The last thing we want is an us-and-them mentality. Because if when the police start to see themselves as an occupying force in the midst of hostility, they begin to, for the purpose for which they exist. And so whatever whoever of our elected officials is leading that charge needs to be silenced. The police need to understand that they live in our community and together we make this a stronger community. If we are wrong... We should admit it. Uh, John Flanders in the first service, he's an attorney. He came up and he said if I change one thing in your sermon, if you are wrong, call him before you admit it. <laughs> I love it. But be willing to be honest. Some of you know this in the amphitheater this past summer I got a speeding ticket. So I went to court not to fight it cuz I wanted to find out what it was like. Okay? So I went to court not expecting to fight anything. I just wanted to see and she said are you here to fight the charge? I go, Well, no, I was speeding. Well, what are you doing here? I just want to find out what it's like to go through the process. And so we talked for a while, and the, the police officer, a female, she said, Do you know how wonderful this is? We get yelled at. We get accused of discrimination and bias. We get called to everything you can think of. And just to have you sit here because, and you're telling us you did it. And I said, Yeah, I did it. So I dismissed it. It's like, Oh, I. Didn't know that would happen. Wasn't asking. It's like when you go to a restaurant and you talk to the manager and say, the service was terrible tonight. Here, we'll give you a coupon for a free dinner. I don't want a free dinner. I live here in the community. You're part of my people. And so I'm just giving you feedback that your your food service attendant has had a bad night for some reason. You might want to help them. I'm not asking for a free meal. That's not it at all. Just giving you feedback because I live here. The police live here with us. We should be an encouragement, not an oppositional force. Another point is that we must remember that every time they enter a situation, there is the possibility that their lives might be at risk. Very few of us ever face that. We should remember that. It's so easy to judge after the fact. They have their own internal reviews to go through that process, and I'm willing to trust them, you know. I'm not going to put myself in the position of judgment over as God. As Jesus said, do not judge. It's real simple. Let them do their jobs. And so we should respect the fact that they put their lives on the line often, never knowing what's going to happen. When we had the uh, fire chief here, he told us that they had to increase their budget because all the firemen now, in addition to all the gear, they have to wear bulletproof vests. Because now with the changes in the drug laws... When they walk into a fire, they never know what they're walking into. So they're no longer allowed to go to a fire without uh, the local law enforcement coming and preceding them. And he said, we didn't sign up for this. That's not why we became firemen. So they put their life on the line all the time. And so we should always look and support and fund any training that's going to help them become better at what they do. We don't want them to use excessive force or coercion, do we? We don't want that. And so we should be willing to fund it, just like when I ask you guys to fund our, our budget every year so we can do what we're supposed to do as a church. We should help them do the same. We should take on that responsibility to do it. Um, we should pray regularly for our police and do what we can to demonstrate our respect and our encouragement as they fulfill their responsibilities. When you see policemen, go tell them thank you. Wave at them. Half the time, they're not paying attention because they're noticing something else. You see them in the grocery store? Walk up and say thank you. They're there for a reason. And they're there to protect and to serve. And as long as we have a fallen community until the Lord comes back, this is an essential part of life. And so we should be the biggest advocates for our police. Not when they do things wrong, but because they're there to help us. Father, thank you for our police right here in our own county. Thank you, Lord. I know several of them, and it's fun to see them, wave at them. And for our police chiefs who come over and talk to us, who love our church, and who are always mindful of what's going on within our own church. Thank you that they're there to help us. Help us to be Great citizens and responding and returning that that um, that love and that care and the belief and the confidence of what they're doing. But thanks for sending us people to protect us because we need it. In your son's name. Amen. Gotta ask the ushers to come for taking care of us.